Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Be Here Now. I am your host, Bridget Mitchell, and today's episode is a little bit different. There is not a co-host with me. There is not a guest with me. It is just me, you and me, baby. (laughs) I'm very nervous. I don't know why it has taken me about six tries to get this intro down, but this is the one. This is going to be it. I'm not going to redo this. I don't care. I don't care what comes out of my mouth. This is the introduction. (laughs) Today's episode, I'm going to be talking about my eating disorder and five things that I learned from it and from recovery. I'm going to be sharing about binge eating disorder, orthorexia, and overexercising. So I guess I'm just going to start right there and say that if you feel that you might be triggered or have a negative response to the topics being discussed in this episode, I highly encourage you to set a healthy boundary and I will see you on another episode. But if you are here, I greatly appreciate you listening and I hope that you get something positive out of this out of this story and out of this episode. And I wanted to share a little snippet of something that happened the other day because this directly parallels with where I'm at right now and was the encouragement that I needed even though it was masked by um, feeling really overwhelmed and unsettled. I was at a restaurant picking up some food and I was in line and there were these two young college boys behind me and I have never wished so badly to have headphones in my ears. I did not want to overhear their conversation, but it happened and uh, here I am to tell the tale. I They were talking about how many steps they had taken that day and how they were compensating for the drinking that they had um, partaken in, partook in, if that's a word, the night before. And they were also talking about how they were trying to eat less because summer was coming up and they wanted that, you know, bikini bod. And I was really upset by the conversation. I was trying to, to to tune it out and I couldn't. So I grabbed my food and I went in my car and I tried calling all of my friends and I finally got a hold of one. Shout out to you, Reed. I love you. Thank you. And Reed encouraged me and she said that me overhearing that conversation and me being upset and me being overwhelmed was exactly where I needed to be. I am doing what my soul I feel is calling me to do. I am shedding light on a big issue in our society and it it starts with a little discomfort. So here I am being really uncomfortable, feeling really uncomfortable, having gone through that experience and being reminded by those boys that this is exactly where I need to be. So yeah, I fully understand that everyone is going through their own experience. There are parts of this podcast where I speak with true convic- true conviction and, and from the heart, and I do so out of love and empathy for those who may be struggling too, because I have been there. I have literally been in the struggle. I've been in the midst of the struggle, so I am speaking from the heart here. There are a lot of pieces to this puzzle, and like I said, I'm merely scratching the surface in this episode, but I hope that this can resonate with at least one person because I wish that I would have heard something like this um, in the midst of my in the midst of my struggle. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. Please bear with me as this is not the easiest topic for me to discuss. I start off a little bit rocky. Um, it, I, di- I am following a script a little bit, but I end up just going rogue and having a lot of passion for the topic. And I hope that you enjoy what you're about to listen to. So I guess grab a snack, sit back, relax. And uh, this is Be Here Now. There is a lot that I want to say. I struggled with my eating disorder for, let's see how old I am. Uh, I'm about to be 24. I was probably 16 at the time. Oh my God. Okay. Like seven years. (laughs) Yeah. That's a long time. Um, So yeah, I struggled with an eating disorder for about seven years and I only 
got help in the fall of 2019. So I guess you could say that my recovery journey is fairly new, but it's been powerful and um, has made a great impact on not only my life, but those closest to me who I have opened up to about, um, about all of this with. But yeah, so I do have a little bit of a script in front of me and I'm going to try and stay in a flow that makes sense, but this is probably going to be messy, but I am, I'm ready. (laughs) Um, I wanted to start by reading a letter that I wrote to my body and I, before I sought help with, with therapy, with talk therapy, I came across a book called The Fuck It Diet by Caroline Dooner. And I remember being so just distraught with the cycle that I was in. And I was very aware of the cycle that I was in, but I didn't know how to get help. And I was Googling like churches that would help or um, like devotionals that would help. I was constantly praying to God to just get me out of this cycle because I seriously had lost all hope. I thought that I was going to be forever stuck in this cycle. Um, and I was so wrong. I was so, so, so wrong. Um, because here I am being able to tell this story, um, and share my, my journey with you. Um, so I wanted to start with the letter that I wrote my body. This was in October of 2019. I'm not going to (laughs) cry. Um, it says, dear B, this is your body here. Why don't you accept me for who I am and what I look like? Why do you try so hard to change me? I am perfect just for you. There is only one of me. You will only ever have me, no other body. I want you to love me like I love you. I protect you. I keep you safe and warm. I am healthy. You only don't love me because of how I look. I want you to remember that I am the best you will ever have. You need to start loving me. I am thankful for the care you give me by showering and cleaning me daily and moving moving me and using my muscles whenever you're feeling up for it. I want you to stop being so hard on me. I do so much for you and I'm trying to keep up with your ever evolving wants and wishes. How you want me to look always changes and I want you to find a place of comfort of comfort and acceptance for me. Please love your body. Wow. <laughs> I haven't read back on any of my journal entries ever, um, except for preparing for this podcast. And that's pretty, pretty intense. Um, so I came across the book, the fuck it diet, and that moved me to seek talk therapy and get help. And in the book, I highly, highly recommend it. If you are in a diet cycle, if you are in a place of just an unhealthy place with food. And, uh, I don't want to use that word. I apologize. Um, just an unbalanced relationship with food. If you're experiencing that, I highly recommend starting with that book and hearing Caroline Dooner out because that uh, was everything. So one of the prompts in the book was to write a letter to your body and, and that was mine. Um, so I want to right off the bat, share what I was diagnosed with and explain what those, what those issues, um, or, uh, disorders, um, what's the word, (laughs) uh, are made, are made up of what, what behaviors. And I was, I was diagnosed with binge eating disorder and orthorexia informally. Like I wasn't formally diagnosed. I actually asked my therapist to not formally diagnose me because my anxiety and OCD was pretty bad. And, um, I just didn't want to be labeled, but I, this, this was what I had. Um, and the key diagnostics for BED, which it, which stands for binge eating disorder includes reoccurrent and persistent episodes of binge eating. And these episodes are associated with three or more of the following. So there's binge eating episodes. They are associated with three or more of these things, eating much more rapidly than normal, eating until feeling uncomfortably full, eating large amounts of food when not feeling physically hungry, eating alone because of being embarrassed by how much one is eating 
feeling disgusted with oneself, depressed, or very guilty after overeating. And then some of the other factors or some of the other, yeah, I guess factors that are included here are marked distress regarding binge eating. So if you're feeling really stressed about it, um, and then the absence of regular compensor, compen, wow, I can't say this word, compensate, whoa, behaviors that compensate such as purging, sorry. Um, so those are some of the key diagnostics that um, make up binge eating disorder. And binge eating affects 3.5% of women and 2% of men and 1.6% per- 1. of adolescents. And um, that's only what's being documented uh, here in America. I believe those numbers are much higher. Um, orthorexia is the fixation on eating healthy food. And this isn't in the DSM, but it falls under AFRID or AFRID. And that stands for avoidance slash restrictive food intake disorder. And for me, this looked like trying every single diet you could possibly think of (laughs) in order to attain this ideal image of health or to reach this this pinnacle of health. Um, And then both of those those issues, binge eating disorder and orthorexia, they were paired with overexercising, um, which is also very, very common in athletes and young adults. And basically what this looks like is I restrict, this is me in the past, I would restrict, I wouldn't eat X, Y, and Z foods. And then I would binge because of that restriction, because my body, I wasn't um, listening to those cravings and listening to what my body was needing and wanting. And then I would binge on those foods to a point where, as I stated with those, um, those diagnostics, I was feeling uncomfortably full. I had so much stress about it. I was embarrassed. I would eat alone in my car. Um, and I was feeling disgusted. Like I ticked off all the boxes for this And then after the binge, I would normally like pass out, like go to sleep, not like not pass out unconsciously, but I would go to sleep. And then the next day it was hitting the gym, doing HIIT workouts, sprinting, um, lifting weights, um, just trying to compensate, um, not, not purging, but compensating in the gym to try and burn off, um, the excess calories that I had eaten And the cycle continued for years. Like I'm talking, I don't even remember my first episode, but this was constant. And, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty gnarly. And I also wanted to read the letter that I wrote to my younger self. Um, as I, as I talk about uh, my behaviors and kind of where this all started. All right, dear younger B, and this is written by 22 years old B. So this was almost two years ago. Dear younger B, it is not your fault. The pressure you feel, your bold nature, your insecurities are all nothing to be ashamed of. You are so wise and smart for your age, your looks, others' opinions of you, Your internal confusion are all things you need to let go of stressing about. You are human. You hold such a wonderful space in this world. Your energy, smile, laugh, and loving and compassionate nature speak volumes. The world around you will continue to change. Beauty standards will continue to change. You cannot and should not try to keep up. You are not here by accident. God has a greater purpose for you. On the days you feel overwhelmed or stressed, feel it all out and then let it go. And for Christ's sake, stop watching reality TV and getting diet advice from your friends. Be easy on yourself. You need that. The world is only going to get tougher. Fuck, man. <laughs> yeah, that um, love older be 22 years old. Whew. Um, I just, yeah, I need to take a second after that. That was, uh, that's still true to this day. Um, so growing up, I was always athletic. I played soccer from the time I was three or four until 14. I got into volleyball and basketball when I was eight or nine. And those sports carried me through high school. I was also in track and field when I was in high school, but it was funny because I was too, 
I was like one of the fastest girls in volleyball and basketball, but I was too slow for track and I was too weak for field. So like shot put and discus, I think it's called. I did long jump a few times, but I was caught in this awkward middle. And I remember just hating myself because I, I wasn't fast enough to, to be on the, like to technically be on the track team. Um, but I wasn't strong enough to be doing the field events and yeah, that, that's, that played a huge, a huge part in, um, my, um, destruction of confidence. (laughs) That didn't really make sense, but I love sports and I always have, and I always will. Growing up as an athlete, I learned what it meant to be a teammate and a leader, and it taught me discipline and respect. It gave me passion and purpose throughout those formative years, and it made me feel truly alive. Like, I loved being a teammate. I loved practices with my friends and game days. They were the best. My junior year of high school, I quit volleyball to pursue basketball and track and field, Um, and when my junior year of basketball ended in February, I was done for good. I, um, I, this is like around the time where you decided if you wanted to pursue athletics in college or if you wanted to, um, focus on your studies. And I decided uh, to choose the latter and I, I quit my sports. And I noticed that as sports were stripped away, my body was hella confused. I went from having two a days during volleyball season and multiple workouts a day and basketball season to having nothing. I had to find another outlet. Um, cue the YMCA theme song. (laughs) I became a member of the gym at the YMCA. It was like around the corner from my house. And I began doing this stupid bikini body guide by this Instagram influencer. And at the time that bikini body guide, it was, it consisted of hit workouts and lists, which is low intense something, something that's not what the S's stand for, but (laughs) I can't remember what they stand for. Um, and the, the guide was paired with a nutrition guide, which restricted you to 1600 calories a day period. Like doesn't matter your height, your weight, your BMI, your gender, like that was the guide. And thank God I didn't buy that portion of it. Um, because I somehow knew that that was wrong (laughs) and I'm very glad that I listened to myself there. Um, but yeah, that's pretty Kayla. It seems if you ever hear this, like I hate you, (laughs) not really, but I like, come on girl. Um, that's just not right. Like you shouldn't be promoting that. But the list goes on, I guess, for influencers that think they know what they're talking about when it comes to weight loss and dieting. Um, that's a hot topic for another time. But I also was a member of a hot yoga studio that had a bunch of hot housewives all competing with each other to look hotter and be stronger and hold the longest handstand. And it was so toxic and beautiful at the same time. Like I remember hearing about all their hot gossip with their husbands and the kids and Um, it was, I had a couple friends that I would go with and, um, we were the youngest girls in the whole studio and everyone else was, yeah, just a housewife. Um, but I had several instructors that helped me become so aware of that mind body connection And this studio ultimately inspired me to go to India to complete my 200 hour yoga teacher training. Um, so I can't dog on the studio that hard because I have, a few, I had a few instructors that really pushed me to just be better. And I was 17 at the time and it was the best influence that I could have had. Um, aside from all the housewives around me that were just batshit crazy. Um, (laughs) I remember during these formative years of high school, having friends who didn't eat at all. And I had friends who were ashamed or who were shamed by other friends for what they ate. And I just realized that diet culture, like looking back now, diet culture hit us all so young. And I don't think I had any friends who had parents who modeled a balanced relationship with food. And maybe I had one or two, but I, I, don't, I never saw that. Um, and this just goes to show that 
these kinds of issues are generational and they're cyclical and we have to be the ones to break that. Um, I had several friends who were shamed by their mothers to change the way that they looked. And, um, I actually remember, um, when I was in the kitchen, I think I must've been, I don't know. It was, it was around this time that I was really struggling. I was standing in the kitchen and my mom said, you look really good. Like you keep it up. Like you look really good. And I remember going back to my room. I think I cried. I don't remember that well, but I think I cried because I thought to myself, well, only if she knew what I was doing to try and look the way that I was working out at the gym at five in the morning, going to school and then going to hot yoga and just essentially torturing myself to try and look the way that I was. And here I am getting praised and there is no, no shame to my mom. There's no shame to my sisters um, because we all struggle. And that's where my empathy comes in. Um, I know that we all struggle and I cannot point blame on anyone. But it is in those moments looking back where I'm like, damn, like I was messed up and I was really struggling and no one was talking about it. Literally no one was talking about it. No one was normalizing that there were body image issues and that girls were having a hard time. No one talked about it in school. Our teachers didn't talk about it. Our faculty didn't talk about it. No one made these conversations normal. We all just struggled in silence and it's so sad. So, so sad. Um, And this was all, I'm talking like 14, 15, 16 years old, going into 17, 18. Um, Not to mention the bullying for for looking different. Um, You know, the fat kid always got picked on and the thin girls and ripped dudes got all the praise and validation. It was literally like TV and movies. Um, And looking back, it's just, it's sickening because we all look different and we're all supposed to look different. We were not made to look the same. And it sucked in those years, everyone's going through puberty and kind of like figuring out themselves and and their bodies changing. And some girls got boobs a lot younger and some girls never got boobs at all. And just the bullying, the constant bullying. And yeah, it's all just coming back to me now. (laughs) Um, but I remember my friends and I watching the Victoria's Secret fashion show and the Kardashians and being subconsciously told that this was the way that women needed to be, to be valued by society, to be desired by men, to be worthy of attention and love. And pardon my French, but that is so fucked up. Like, I hate that our society is that. I, I fully blame media. I blame movies. I blame TV. I blame celebrities. I blame the, uh, pharmaceutical industry. I blame the diet industry. I, I blame all of it. I think it's so messed up. Um, and looking back, it's honestly so traumatic to relive and kind of say out loud, but these are the conversations that need to be had. Um, there are a few vivid memories that stick out to me from my past. I was obsessed with the show, the biggest loser. If you are not familiar with it, I don't even know if it's on TV anymore. I don't have TV, but this show was about people who were several hundred pounds, like 400, 500 pounds, and they were embarking on a journey to lose weight. And I'm pretty sure they were put on two different teams and they were put through various exercises to lose weight. And it was for a cash prize. And I think it was, I don't know, something crazy, like a hundred thousand dollars or $50,000. But I mean, these people, they, they did, they actually lost the weight. They went down hundreds of pounds and, you know, it was remarkable watching these people, um, really shape, shape, reshape their lives and redefine who they are. Um, but I remember watching that when I was 15 or 16 and I was sitting on my parents' bedroom, uh, eating spaghetti squash and ground turkey. That was my dinner before I went vegan. Pretty much ate that all the time. Um, And I don't know if that's, that's not normal. That's not normal to be 15 or 16 going through puberty and being obsessed with a show like that. That's not, that's not normal. Um, So kind of like moving into 
the when I first joined the diet world, when I was uh, 17, I went vegan and I initially made the decision for animal rights, but it quickly turned into searching for the most optimal way of eating Q orthorexia, <laughs> the cleanest way of eating, um, essentially. I found the vegan community on YouTube and religiously watched people like Bonnie Rebecca, Freely the Banana Girl, and a few others. If you're familiar with those people, um, uh, I'm sorry because that was horrible influences. And if you're not familiar with them, I don't recommend looking them up. Um, I should say that Bonnie Rebecca has since opened up about her own struggles with eating and how some um, she had some medical conditions that pointed her to eat plant-based and that ended up being obsessive for her. And then Freely the Banana Girl, if you guys know her, um, she is still batshit crazy. <laughs> she was known for eating, I'm not kidding, like 40 bananas a day and starting this movement called Raw Till Four. And essentially that was eating raw foods like fruits and vegetables until 4 p.m. and then eating a cooked meal for dinner. And I was heavily, heavily influenced by these people. I watched them and I was like, wow, they are the pinnacle of health. They have beautiful skin. Their bodies are beautiful. Like I have to eat like that in order to to look that way. Meanwhile, I look nothing like them. I if you know me, if you've seen me, I am curvy. I have boobs. I have a butt. Like I don't have a flat stomach. Like I, I'm, that is how I'm built. That is my nature. And the people that I was looking at were stick thin and that's totally fine. Like my sisters are naturally very thin and we just have different builds. But the fact that I was looking at these women wanting to be like them when I didn't even have that kind of build was just beyond me. Like I didn't realize at the time that I would never look like them no matter what I ate, no matter how much I restricted, no matter how many foods I cut out, I will never look like them. And that kind of goes back to like the me saying, um, or in my letter that said to my younger self, stop watching, um, reality TV and all of that, because it's true. Like those people, you might not have the same body type as them. Like you're not going to look like them no matter what you do. But I get to, I, I'm going to get into that in a little bit. Um, so I basically have tried every single version of veganism that you can think of. And I was prompted in the fuck it diet to write down, um, my old diet rules. And I wanted to share that because I thought that was, that was pretty interesting. Okay. I found it. Old diet rules. These were things that I, that I have once followed. Lean meat. This was in early high school. Turkey grounds instead of beef. Spaghetti squash instead of noodles. Um, detox teas. This was like the middle of high school. I would drink twice a day um, to speed up digestion. I went vegan senior year of high school. Um, I started with no meat and then I cut out no animal products shortly after that. I tried raw till for vegan, which was only cooked foods after 4 p.m., raw foods all morning. I tried low fat, high carb. This was early college. This was little to no fatty foods, no processed foods, and lots of carbs. Then I tried intermittent fasting, which was fasting from 6 p.m. to 11 a.m. the next day. And then th um, I thought this was cleansing. Intermittent fasting is bullshit. If you're Sorry, I'm going to we're going to talk about that. <laughs> I tried intermittent fasting, though. Um, I tried intuitive eating. This is not a diet rule. This is actually what I do now. Um, intuitive eating is not a diet. Um, what I was doing was I I called this intuitive eating, but really this was restricting and binging. And I wrote these notes before I went to therapy. So this is why this is wrong. Um yeah, I was restricting and then I was binging and I, for some reason, called that intuitive eating. That is not intuitive eating. I tried FODMAP because I was having irritable bowel um, symptoms because IBS and gut issues run in my family. So I tried the FODMAP diet. I tried gluten-free randomly because my sisters did and they were telling me that it runs in our family. I tried hot 
drinking hot lemon water in the morning um, in high school because of I thought that it sped up digestion. I tried the elimination diet to try to find if I had food allergies. Literally the list goes on. Like I have so many things that I tried because I just wanted to change the way that I looked. Ultimately this following these diets came down to changing the way that I looked and deep down that I, I knew that restriction was bad. I knew that when I were to restrict, I was going to binge. It was just going to happen. I, and this goes down to science and what I learned in school. Um, your body is going to want carbs. Your brain runs on glucose. Where does glucose come from? Carbohydrates. Um, your brain is going to want those things. Your body is going to want those things. And by avoiding them, you eventually trigger yourself into, I forgot the word, but, um, like essentially you'll do anything to go and have that food because your body wants it so badly. So I have literally tried everything that you can think of in the world of veganism. I've never really tried keto never really tried paleo because of, I didn't want to eat animal products, but if I was eating animal products, I probably would have tried it. And guess what? Here's the kicker. Here's the kicker from all of these diet, all of these diets. If you look at photos of me, my body may be changed, like maybe an ounce, like it changed a little bit, but it always bounced back. It always bounced back to what I looked like before. It never stayed that way. My abs, I did maybe have abs at one point. They never stayed. Um, I always ended up having a little layer of, of, of fat over my, over my stomach and who fucking cares. It's there to protect my uterus It's there to protect my organs. I don't care anymore. Um, so it's just hilarious looking back that all of those diets that I tried didn't do anything for the long run. And that is something that I talk about in a little bit as well. Um, so going back to, um, high school, my first relationship ended in 2016 and I experienced anxiety for the first time. And so many things were changing in my life. I was out of a relationship, my first relationship. I was about to go into my second year of college. I had no idea where I wanted to transfer to or where I wanted to study. I wanted to go to Stellenbosch. It's an Afrikaans university in uh, the Western Cape of South Africa. I don't speak Afrikaans. My family doesn't really speak Afrikaans. Like I, um, I don't know why I wanted to do that, but I just, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. There were so many things changing and so many things happening and I was just an anxious mess. And I remember being so emotionally and mentally exhausted from going to therapy and college and stress that I would binge eat to cope. And I never made that connection, which is why my first talk therapist that I went to, she never knew about my eating disorder behavior. I might've mentioned once that I had some like unhealthy coping mechanisms, but we never really dove into it. And that was back in 2016. So I knew that I was struggling three years before actually getting help. Um, and that's kind of mind boggling to me, but I, again, like I mentioned, no one was talking about it. I knew that my friends had issues. I knew that some of them weren't easy, weren't eating. I knew that some of them experienced shame and no one was talking about it. It wasn't normalized. And so I didn't talk about it and no one knew what I was going through. I wasn't handling my emotions and thoughts and it led me to turn to food. And it was the only out outlet that I had that gave me instant gratification it would, for the time being, numb me. And um, I ended up transferring colleges and decided that my major would be nutrition with an emphasis in dietetics so I could become a dietitian. I, I wanted to learn more about food and eating healthy, quote unquote healthy. And I figured that maybe I could fix myself and answer this question of why I'm binging and why I'm feeling so much shame without ever having to tell anyone I mentioned this in my first podcast, the introduction to be here now, but I struggle with perfectionism and I, this kind of ties into perfectionism. I didn't want anyone to know I was struggling. I didn't want anyone to know that from the outside, 
Like from the outside in high school, everyone knew me as the vegan girl, like senior year of high school. It was, oh my God, Bridget, she's so healthy. Like she eats avocados and hummus. And like, I was like what people talked about. I mean, in my head, this is what people talked about. People, people probably didn't give a fuck. They all have their own issues. But in my head, I, I thought that people were kind of hyping me up for being this way. And so I didn't want anyone to know that I was struggling. I didn't want anyone to know that my perfect little box was crumbling on the inside. Um, but I, so I went to school because I, well, I, I changed my major to dietetics cause I wanted to try and fix myself and to cut to the chase school did not help, uh, at all. <laughs> In fact, it actually made it a lot worse. And, um, we never talked about the psychology of eating disorders in dietetics. We, I mean, maybe in like one class that I was not paying attention in, I don't know, but I do not remember talking about the psychology of eating disorders and the connection between the psyche and food. I don't ever remember talking about that. Um, and how prevalent they are. We focused on numbers like BMI calories, weight. And, um, that was when I knew like, fuck this. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to learn about this. And this was all based on the government standards, the USDA, the FDA, like it was all based on their standards, um, which is also very outdated, might I add, um, and does not focus on health at every size. So that will be a topic for another, another episode. Um, but this was so wrong to me. And I, I switched my concentration to business and industry and wellness to understand food from a science perspective. And this was interesting to me. This was like my bread and butter, no like pun intended with the food analogy there, but this was, this was what I liked learning about. I liked learning about how a tomato turns into a jar of pasta sauce that you have in your cabinet. Like I, I liked learning that, that process. I liked learning the science behind that. And that was fascinating for me. And I also loved wellness. I loved seeing, um, I loved seeing the, the dots connect with health as a whole and looking at eating and food and, um, all of that from a holistic standpoint standpoint. And I learned that the true definite definition of health includes mental, emotional, and social wellness And it is not merely defined by the absence of disease or weakness. So health is holistic. It is not like when someone says, when someone claims that someone else is not healthy based on what they look like or their weight, that's BS because they could be from the outside to you and your perspective, you might think they're not healthy, quote unquote healthy based on what they look like, but they're, they might be emotionally stable. They might have a great social life. They might have a stable, um, mindset. They could be healthy in so many other aspects. And that's something that I have a huge issue with. Um, when, when people throw word, throw around the word healthy now, because it's so much more than what you look like and your weight and all of that. Um, so this changed everything for me. Um, senior year of college, I went to India during winter break to go to yoga school and I came back a changed woman. I really did. Um, this will probably be another podcast episode, but I would love to talk about India and what it taught me and my struggles there and the breakthroughs that I had. But it wasn't until almost a year later that I finally opened up about my eating disorder and my eating behaviors and my overexercising. So I confided in my two closest friends at the time about what I was going through. And our my connection with these two people was special because both of them struggled in silence with their own issues. One had a mood disorder and the other one had an addiction. And both of those people, no one knew about their issues either. So for me, I felt safe to confide in them because they confided in me and, um, it was almost like we held each other's secrets and we never told anyone. And now both of those people have sought help and they're both doing really well. And, and so am I, and I have a lot of, um, gratitude for them for 
walking me through literally the hardest time in my life when no one else knew what I was going through. And it's not like they had any experience with eating disorders either, but they understood my struggle and they understood or they could empathize with my struggle struggle and they could empathize with the fact that I was scared to tell anyone. And 20 year old Bridget would have never thought that almost 24 year old Bridget would have focused her attention on supporting women and their journey of creating a balanced relationship with their body and food. I never would have thought I would have been here or gotten to this point. An 18-year-old Bridget would have never thought that she could break free from her binging episodes. And 14-year-old Bridget would have never thought that she could look in the mirror and be accepted for who she is as she is. And I want to kind of be vulnerable here for a second and say that there are still days where I look in the mirror and I don't accept myself. I have these creeping thoughts of, oh, you're not good enough. This is why you're still single. This is why boys don't like you. This is why your friends, blah, blah, blah. Like the lies go on and on and on. And there are some days that are a lot harder than others. And I have to remind myself that those are lies And those are things that the enemy is telling me. And those are not words that are coming from truth. And yeah, I, there are still days that I struggle and that's okay because healing is not linear and progress is not linear. And that's something that I want to remind everyone, everyone and anyone who is struggling, if you are dealing with something your progress is not linear. There are going to be days where those lies creep up into your head and that is totally fine because we are human having a human experience. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I wanted to just make a note about that. <laughs> so how, how and where did I get help? I mentioned the fall of 2019 quite a few times, but I, I did come across the book, the fuck a diet. And again, I recommend it. But I sought help a little bit after that, after finishing that book. And I wrote a, I wrote my parents a letter detailing what was going on. And this was the best form of communication for me with them because I didn't want to have an in-person conversation about it. I wasn't ready for that. And so I just asked them to support me going to therapy and they did. And I went to outpatient treatment. Um, I was just doing talk therapy with someone and it was intense and it was scary, but it was beautiful. And this therapy included me discussing my eating behaviors and kind of what led me to it, the factors that led me to it, my experience in high school and my family dynamics and my relationships with my sisters and my parents and being uh, an immigrant family and all of the things that that contributed to my um, my body image and my my eating behaviors. And I just wanted to say that um, I pulled some quotes or not some quotes, some statistics. That was what I referenced earlier and what I'm about to reference. But these are from the uh, oh, shoot. It's from the National Eating Disorder Association, the NEDA. But 79% of people that have binge eating disorder meet criteria for at least one other psychiatric disorder, and mine was anxiety. Um, Also, this was not diagnosed because I asked not to be diagnosed. It wasn't, quote unquote, bad enough for me to be diagnosed. Um, I didn't want to be on medicine. I was doing yoga, and that was a very good coping mechanism for me. Um, But my anxiety, my, my binge eating disorder definitely was paired with my anxiety because I was so anxious about, you know, society standards and how I was fitting in and my, and going through life changes and all of these things. And then food was the one means that I had to control. That was my, that was what I controlled. I can't believe I haven't mentioned that in this entire episode yet, but, um, as along with perfectionism, I, I struggle with control and wanting control of things. Um, It is what keeps me, or what I feel like keeps me grounded. Um, But controlling food is probably the worst, um, the worst thing that you could choose because food is meant to be enjoyed. It's not meant to be manipulated as, um, like you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to use food 
to manipulate the way that you look or attempt to manipulate the way that you look. Um, but about eight months later, I asked my therapist to share my initial intake papers with me to see how far I had come. So this was about, I think this was June of 2020. I asked to see these, uh, these papers and that these were questions that she asked me on my first day as, uh, as her patient. And I think, I don't remember if this was a scale of one to five. So like she would ask a question and I would say a number. Um, I think these numbers might've been paired with, um, so one being not all the time and five being all the time. And I was asked questions like, how often am I stressed when I eat, um, during one week, like how often do I binge? And most of those answers were out of four or a five. And when she asked me those same questions, um, back in June of 2020, all of my answers were either out of zero or a one. And I feel so free being able to say that like I, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but healing is possible. Like point blank period healing is possible. And with that, I wanted to read the letter that I found in my journal. And this was a letter to older B. And so I, I read the letter to my body and I read the letter to my younger self. Um, but this is letter to older B and I, I'm really going to try not to cry here, but I'm (laughs) okay. It says, dear older B, please relax. You are okay. Right where you are right now, no matter what your body currently looks like or how you think it looks, you are exactly where you need to be. I am so sorry for your pain and constant heartache. Your journey to coming back to your center is not determined by how you look. You are so fucking smart and wise. I am so proud of you for taking these steps needed to truly break away from the effed up diet culture you and so many others are a part of. You're so much more than the negative thoughts. Your beauty standards are that of what your creator has made for you. Or wait, are not what your creator has made for you. Sorry. Your mind, your heart, your soul, your energy all hold a greater weight of importance than your physical appearance. Go easy on yourself. Be gentle. Show compassion to yourself just like you do with others. You are loved unconditionally. Lean on trust. Lean not on your own understanding. Be an example for your littles. (laughs) Shine bright from from the inside out because that's what matters. Love younger be. Man. Um, yeah, that is also still very true. I wrote that, um, as the fifth thing that I, the fifth thing that I learned. So I wanted to, um, share the five things that I learned from my eating disorder and this, this journey that I've been on, um, for seven very long years. But number one, nothing in this life is permanent. We are always in a state of flux and flow. My eating disorder was merely a chapter in my book, a season that brought lots of pain and growth, but most importantly, self-acceptance and empathy. I want to make a very, very strong point here that you do not have to be stuck in the diet cycle forever. If you're listening to this and you are scared of carbohydrates and you are scared of soda and you feel like you need to work out after you've eaten a heavy meal or you feel like you need to work out before you go out with your friends and drink, I'm here to tell you that you do not have to be stuck in that cycle forever. I've been there. I have been there. I have been there. I can empathize with you. You do not have to be stuck in that cycle forever. Some of my mom's friends are still scared of carbs and ice cream and they're in their sixties. Like I want whoever is listening to this to know that you do not have to be like that. You do not have to be scared of those things. Food is just food. We put so much emphasis on what we think it might do to our bodies because of the society that we have. We live in a fat phobic society. We are so scared of being fat. We are so scared of weight gain. We are so scared that we are not going to be accepted for who we are based on how we look. And it's bullshit. Period. <laughs> I hope anyone listening to this can recognize that 
this is not how it should be. And that is not how it has to be. You get to break the cycle and close this chapter of your life. So yeah, that was number one. (laughs) Number two, society's standards of beauty will constantly change. You cannot possibly keep up. Social media is not real life. TV is not real life. Reality TV is not real life. It's all fake. And it only is going to get more fake. The standards are going to change as time goes on. Those standards are tearing us farther apart from each other as humans, as women, as men. And they're tearing us apart from our truest selves. We cannot keep up. Do you remember in the early 2000s when thin and flat was beautiful and that was what everyone wanted and low waist jeans and crop tops and that Britney Spears look iconic, truly iconic. We love, we love that era. We love the fashion. We love that. But that that's not even a standard anymore. Now it's the Kardashians. It's who can have the bigger butt, who can have the bigger boobs, who can have the bigger lips, who can have the smallest waist, who can look effortless while attaining these beauty standards. What's next? Honestly, like what's going to be next? Can we please, please, please have the next phase and phase from, from forward and forever be that who you are right now is the standard that you live up to? This is it. This is who you need to be. Can we please make that? I'm like talking to the teddy bear across my room. I'm like you and I, Laz, like let's fucking make this the new standard. It's like we just can't keep up period. (laughs) Number three, there is no such thing as good and bad foods. The end, like drop the mic. There is no such thing as good and bad foods. Diet culture has made you believe these things. I literally went to school for nutrition. I have some kind of backing to this statement. Even in school, I learned there were no such thing as good and bad foods. There's this thing called moderation and moderation. Honestly, I believe in moderation. Like if you want to Actually, no, I take that back. I do not believe in moderation. I believe that when you are eating intuitively and you're eating in a way that you are truly, really and truly listening to your body, listening to what you are craving, you're, you are not going to eat yourself to death. You are not going to eat ice cream until you die. You are not going to eat pizza until you die. You are not going to eat the quote unquote bad foods until you pass away. That is not how intuitive eating works. Um, but diet culture has made you believe that diet culture has made you believe that by eating one cookie, it's going to turn into 700 cookies. And then you're going to go to the hospital for like, like a stomach explosion or something like that's not going to (laughs) happen. It's really not try eating 35 cookies and then tell me how you feel. I promise you're not going to die. Trust me. I've been there. I used to binge eat a whole box of Oreos and here I am telling the tale. My friends, you will survive. Um, you are not going to eat yourself to death. Society has made you believe culture. Diet culture has made you believe that there are good and bad foods. This will be another episode as well. Um, something that I'm very passionate about now. But diet culture is just like society's beauty standards. They are always changing. So just like the low waist jeans and the tall, thin women, when that, whenever that was the, the ideal, the norm, um, and now it's all about the curves and the big butts and the big lips. Well, let's parallel that to whole 30 and intermittent, intermittent fasting and keto and all the other bullshit diets out there that, oh yeah, I remember when Atkins was a thing, like then that's not a thing anymore. No one really talks about it. It's been debunked. Okay. I get it. I've done all of it. I've done the vegan thing. Like I've done intermittent fasting. I've done, um, um, all the other like FODMAP and all of that. Granted, some of those were more health focused as far as like medical issues go. But my, my point here is that the diet fads, they're fads. They don't stick just like with beauty standards. They don't stick. They hurt though. They really, really hurt when you get stuck, when you get sucked into them. But there will always be someone or something telling you to change the way that you look, telling you to change the way that you eat to meet the standard. And we were not made to look the same or to eat the same. Um, And this is something that this is something about Western culture and media um, that has has warped this truth 
Um, it's not true. These, these, these diet rules, these, so these beauty standards, they're not true. They're false. They're so far beyond true. They're so far from the truth. I mean, um, and this state of being lacks self-compassion and acceptance. It screams instability and fear. It says, I don't trust myself and who I am. So I have to turn to others to give me answers with diets, with beauty standards, with all of that. <sighs> this feels so good to talk about. <laughs> Number four, the fourth thing that my, my eating disorder taught me. Um, please remember, I'm speaking from experience here. I'm speaking from experience. I'm speaking as the person who went to school for nutrition, who was going to be a dietitian and then dropped from that. I'm speaking from as someone who has had an eating disorder. I've, I've seen it all. I've done it all. Number four, what you stand for and listen carefully, what you stand for and who you are as a person has nothing to do with your weight, your BMI or what you look like. Let me say that again. What you stand for and who you are as a person has nothing to do with your weight, BMI or what you look like. And if somehow like you have thought that the two go together, this is your reality check because, because they don't. How you treat other people, when you wake up every day and you say to yourself, today I'm going to kick ass at work, today I'm going to be a good daughter, I'm going to be a good friend, I'm going to show up for my sisters, I'm going to show up for my dad, I'm going to show up for my, for my friends, that has nothing to do with what you look like. Your job is not affected by your weight. Your, who you are as a friend is not affected by your weight. Who you are as a member of society has nothing to do with your weight or what you look like. Number five, the, the last thing that I learned, not the last thing, but the, the one of the things that I learned, um, but I'm only doing a list of five here. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but and I think one of the letters that I wrote to myself Talk to yourself the way that you would your friends. You wouldn't tell your friends they're fat, they're ugly, they need to lose weight. You wouldn't tell your friends to stop eating a certain food. And if you do do that, oh, sis, brother, we have we have some talking to do. Um, because yeah, if you, if you are in the category of you do say those, those things to your friends, that's a whole other, that's a whole other topic for discussion, but talking to yourself, the way that you talk to your friends is a game changer. I check myself on this almost daily because I do have thoughts that still arise that are like, oh my God, my cellulite is really showing today or like, oh my God, my, you know, my, I'm feeling really bloated. I'm not going to tell my friend oh my God, your cellulite looks really bad today. Or, oh my God, like you're looking really bloated today. Like what? Like we wouldn't say that to our friends. So be gentle with yourself. Be gentle with yourself the way that you are to your friends because we need more of that. We need more self-compassion. And I think it just, it's parallel. Like the way that we talk to ourselves should be the way that we, or the way that we talk to our friends should be the way that we talk to ourselves. So those were the five things that I, um, could, could think about right now that were, uh, what I learned from my eating disorder. Um, and I, I wanted to just kind of wrap up with, I'm really heated right now. I'm physically hot <laughs> from this conversation, but it, I feel like it's been, it's been pretty good from me anyway, my release. Um, I wanted to talk about where I'm at right now and I am doing really well. I wanted to say again that progress is not linear and one of my favorite quotes that my therapist told me is it does not have to be perfect in order for it to be wonderful and I love that because as someone who is wrapped up in perfectionism and control and yada 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 I often forget that the little moments are wonderful and they don't have to be perfect in order for them to be wonderful. Um, there was something else that I wanted to read from my journal. Um, I just got to find it. 
I wrote this in January of 2020 when I uh, visited with my last therapist. I can always go back to the old, rigid, disordered way of doing things. I can always get back into a routine of punishing myself at the gym and using The ability and the temptation will always be there. The choice will always be there. And um, that's really important because at any time I can pick up those behaviors. Um, I can start going back to the gym in a way that is forceful and not out of compassion and love for my body, but out of hate and out of shame for the way that I look or for what I ate, I could easily go back and do that. I could easily eat pizza and then the next day go work out because I feel bad about it. The option is there. The temptation is there. I could do it if I wanted to, but I'm choosing not to because that is not a way that I want to live anymore. I do not want food to control me. I do not want exercise to control me. I want movement to be mindful. I want it to be fun. I want it to be enjoyable. I want it to be spike ball at the park and beach volleyball at the park with my friends when we're all a little bit tipsy. Like I want, I want movement to be enjoyable and I don't want it to be punishment for what I ate. And I don't want to restrict myself for, for what, so I can maybe try and change the way that I look. There's something, oh man, the statistic that I have is on another another notepad that I have. But um, there's a, a statistic that says 95% of all dieters will regain their lost weight in one to five years. It happens. It happens. Um, this is something that I didn't really touch on and I will get to in another in another episode. But you have a set weight. Everyone has a set weight. I learned this in school. Um, this is something that I, I do, <laughs> I believe to be true, even though I believed, I did not believe a lot of things that I learned in school. I do believe this to be true. Everyone has a set weight. And if I, the op- the option for me to restrict, to try and lose weight is there but I will always come back to my set weight. If I'm really and truly listening to my body and what I'm craving and what I want and I'm doing, I'm, I'm mindful about my movement and I'm eating with compassion. I will always come back to my set weight. And so to me, there's no point and restricting. There's no point in dieting. I've been there. I've done it. I literally did it for seven years. I don't have a desire to do it anymore. Um, so yeah, that is kind of my story. I'm so grateful to those two friends that I confided in who accepted me for who I was and what I was going through. I, I'm so grateful for my parents and the help that I got. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to have this podcast and to create a space to share my story and to have others on to share their stories. And um, I'm grateful to you for listening to this. And I want you to know that if you are struggling, you are not alone I want to scream that from the mountaintops. You are not alone. Everyone in this society deals with body image issues. Everyone has thought about using food to manipulate the way that they look, using exercise to manipulate the way that they look, whether it be restricting food with start like starvation or restricting food in the form of dieting. Every single person has thought about it. Um, this isn't, I'm speaking about Western culture. Please do not feel ashamed for those thoughts and those behaviors. Um, because at the end of the day, we're human. I want to say that again, we are human. We are having a human experience, but you are so much more than what you, than how you look and what you weigh. Your soul is what matters. Who you are matters. What you stand for matters. And those things are not 
tied to your weight and what you look like. Um, again, if you would like to read the fuck it diet by Caroline Dooner, I highly recommend. Um, I also recommend intuitive eating by Evelyn Triboli. It's a great book that really debunks a lot of myths about dieting and food and weight gain and all of these things that we're so fearful of. Um, and yeah, I am just happy to be here and I'm happy to share my story and I appreciate you allowing me to do so and for taking the time to listen. Please reach out if you have any questions or you want to talk more about this. I am more than happy to. Please seek help if you are feeling that this could maybe be a call or a sign. This is it. I'm giving it to you. If you need help finding help, I'm happy to give more resources on where you can find a therapist, where you can find um, treatment. I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. But I love you. If you're listening, I love you. I appreciate you. And um, I will be diving more and more into this as the, the months go on. I'm actually really excited. My first therapist of all time, not of all time, my first therapist that I saw when I got help for my eating disorder agreed just today to be on my podcast. So she will be on at some point and that will be very interesting. Um, I will, it will be interesting for me to be able to interview her and uh, get her insight on some things. So thank you again. And I will see you on another episode. <laughs>